Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. Hey, this is Josh Carey. And this is Eric Cabral, and we are the founders of PodMax. So this episode you're about to jump into was recorded at a PodMax Propelify virtual event. And if you don't know who Propelify is, it's an amazing event that will take place digitally, virtually, from October 5th to the 9th. It's also their fifth annual event. Propelify historically has gathered over 8,000 people in Hoboken for a single day of talks, tech, pitches, drones, and more. This year, it's a five-day virtual experience, which will have investor speed dating, the Clean Tech Impact Challenge with a $50,000 prize awarded, and talks from guests like Al Roker, Andrew Yang, and New Jersey First Lady Tammy Murphy, and tons of networking opportunities. So without further ado, let's jump into this special episode with a guest from PodMax and a sponsor of Propelify. Enjoy. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing. Hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Welcome back to another episode of the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Um, as you can probably tell, I am not your host, Josh Carey. I am Amber Furman, and I have hijacked his show for the day. And I'm here with an amazing guest, Rama Rao. He's the founder of Blockcube. It's a clinical trial software company. And what's so amazing about this is they provide access to clinical trials and drugs so that they can get to patients faster. And I know that that's something that we really need in the medical field. And I'm so excited to jump into his passion behind creating this and really the story about how this became a thing and how he got to where he is in his life. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into this. How are you doing today? Terrific, Amber. Perfect. Thanks so much for coming on with me. No, great pleasure. Thanks so much for uh, slotting some time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, great to share, you know, our stories. Yes. <laughs> so let's go ahead and dig into this. Um, you're in a pretty specific niche of providing, and, and I love the passion behind what you described, providing access to patients faster so that they can get what they need to heal. Um there's got to be a story for how you got here. Was this always yeah. where you saw yourself? Did you always see yourself um, in the medical field or did this come by naturally? Uh, so one minor tweak to how you characterized us, what we're trying to do is to accelerate clinical trials so okay. that the pharma companies can deliver drugs faster. Perfect. Or biotech Thank you. companies or anybody else. So that's one part. So um, before I went to business school in France, in Paris, a place called INSEAD, 
uh, a few years before that, I had a brain tumor and that brain tumor was removed. But as part of the process, it may be really asked myself, once I get my MBA, what should I do? Should I just go to the banks and Wall Street uh, or do something different? And I felt that I'd like to join a pharma company and in my own little way, stay in the healthcare industry. I joined Eli Lilly in Geneva, Switzerland. And over the past 27 years, we ended up living, or maybe 30 years, living in about seven countries, traveling to 50-55 on work and pleasure, and basically learning what a community means is not very different from country X to country Y. Yeah? You know, our color, the skin might change, the color of our hair might change, but the fundamentals don't change. No, it don't. So that was one part of learning. The second part of learning came really took place was when I was the CFO for Novartis in Canada. And my wife was uh, diagnosed with a brain tumor also. Wow. So when do you have lightning striking twice like this? So I thought, well, there's a sign there. I've got to do something more. So when I came back to the U.S., I asked, and my company was really fabulous. They, I got a role as the uh, head of clinical development finance, you know, like the finance geek. And the more I went into it, Amber, I found that there was a heck of a lot of inadequacies, to put it very mildly. Now, having a young family, et cetera, you know, there's no question of kind of like quitting. But I remember going for a keynote address in 2012. 2011, 2012, and I asked the audience there, what would we do if Google and Apple came into our field? And people kind of looked at me with that glazed look, you know, (laughs) know, for whatever. Then I asked the second question is, why don't we have Moore's Law operating in clinical drug development? You know, where if you look at it with computers, you know, the speed of computing is increasing exponentially, the cost is decreasing, exponentially. So today we've got a smartphone, which is as powerful and sophisticated as the computer that helped men land on moon, and Neil Armstrong, etc. in 1969. Why is nothing happening? So all, the second why I was asking is when I joined the industry about 28 years back, it cost almost $257 million to bring a drug to market. Ooh. Guess how much it costs now? $2.6 billion. Ugh. And every year, this industry spends $100 billion every year. So we spend a trillion dollars in maybe in 10 years. So it's not because of a lack of trying, because they're extremely smart, dedicated, passionate people. And so the more I thought about it, now I was sitting in Moscow, Russia, with the CFO there for Novartis, and again, I was thinking, we're coming back to stateside, what do we do? And I said, my wife was sick and tired of moving around, to be fair. My daughter wanted to go back to her high school where she grew up in. I had enough of this. And I said, okay, I want to do something which would be impactful. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I had the skills to tackle four major problems in the clinical drug development cycle. And so what we then decided is, or I, as a founder, uh, said I didn't have the competencies, even though I had done some fairly senior jobs to do all this. So I went back to school to Rutgers to do a lean startup to learn basically the fundamentals. And the more I dug, you know, it's like somebody's wise person said, it's only when you light a candle, can you see the darkness that surrounds you? Yes. (laughs) 
So I said, oh my God, I got to learn a lot. So that kind of led me to, and then I said, okay, now I think I've got some more things. The first venture that we started was a failure. It was a B2C kind of space and, and lesson learned that stick to your nature. <laughs> so that's when we came back to, okay, what are the problems here where I have credibility, knowledge, structure? And luckily, I had the good fortune of working for two outstanding companies, Lilly and Novartis. And I saw issues both at a strategic, operational, tactical level. So then I said, okay, I know what the pain points are. Now, how do we solve it? And then the second part of that equation is, it's tempting as an entrepreneur, especially with the passion that I have. If you could have a drink sometime, you would just see me, I'll talk for the whole night through. But that's not the point. The point was that how to kind of create this into a process with the right people who can coach me, the right knowledge, the right technology, and how do you test the idea that we're building on a step-by-step process? So we built firstly a paper model, and people said, Rama, you must be nuts. Why are you doing this? Why don't you just become a CFO, a biotech company, earn money and, and relax, you know, look after your family, et cetera. And the passion to, because what happened is when we were in Moscow, my wife actually also came down with a form of blood cancer called non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh my gosh, you poor so, guys. Well, it is what it is, you know, and I think I'm not the poor guy. It's my wife who's the, the tough person and she inspires me. Yeah, that's so inspiring. So, so then I said, well, I should do my little bit in this whole process. And so we got that down. Then I began doing a proof of concept, then began getting my co-founder identified, advisors identified, built a beta test. So we did a beta test using our system in India, in diabetes. Now what happens in diabetes is, firstly, it's what they call a chronic disease. It has no cure. It's terrible. And I had an uncle who died after he the onset of diabetes. So this was targeted to people and they planned to do the study with 850 patients over 12 months. They gave us 150 patients, we designed the software and we completed our study, our part of the study in 12 days. Wow. So that made people sit up. Now, obviously if you do an apples to apples comparison, it's not 12 to 12 months, 12 days to 12, you know, software build time, et cetera. But we showed very convincingly we could do it by more than 50%. Now, it's not the end of the world because, you know, this was in a low tech environment, but our point was a patient who is in India, who's illiterate has as much right to a top class uh, study and be advised about the risks before they sign up for it. And so we brought in innovations like we got a voiceover that was telling the informed consent in the local language Tamil. The lady or person would then say yes or no to it in their language. Then they would sign on an iPad and I pencil and we'd house all that together. So there would be no doubt that even if a person is illiterate, they did not lose their sense of power because of the symmetry between the doctor and the patient. And so just little things that make me feel that we're making an impact. And obviously now we want to scale up to a bigger level. I know there's a long answer to what you asked for. No, I love it. It was perfect. And there's so much in there that I love. First of all, I can hear your passion come out. And I think that that's so important because so many times we find ourselves, I mean, in situations that 
we don't want to be in as far as work is concerned. Right. And if you don't love what you do, then why are you doing it? And so I love right. hearing people have their passion and want to talk about that. The other thing that I hear is this underlying need to impact, not yep. necessarily to reach an end result just to reach the end result, but what impact yep. are we making along the way? And I hear that in every part of your story. And I think that that's so powerful to people who are sitting there saying, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I don't know where I want to go yet. Um, And maybe they're 40, 50 years old and still asking themselves that question, right? Um, But that impact and that passion are those two things that have to come together to make that sweet spot of this perfect entrepreneurial journey. I think that's a great point, actually, you know, and I've sort of stumbled into it. And I was telling Chris this, I had a mentor when I was starting my first job after I became an engineer. And he said that when you get up in the morning, what do you say? Do you say, good morning, God, and I don't want to be religious. I say, good morning, God. Or do you say, good God, morning. <laughs> you know, so how you approach your day will determine your day. You can't control what is outside you, but you can control your attitude towards it. And that to me is... Uh, and then the other part is as a founder and as an entrepreneur, if I am, you know, a Southpost, like a Scrooge or whatever it is, that DNA will go down the organization. But if I tell people, guys, I know we're going through some rough times. I know we don't have the money here. I don't have this. But here's what we are doing. And you infuse people with the enthusiasm and commitment. Then they don't check the brains out as they enter your quote-unquote project, job, office, whatever, they're basically influencing the process to make it even better. Yeah. Far better than what I would know also. And that makes a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love that you mentioned that because oftentimes I get asked what is, you know, for people out there that want to change their life right now, what is yeah. the one thing that they can do? And I tell them exactly what you just said. Start understanding and taking 100% control for how you react throughout your day. Because what you said is 100% right. You can't control what's going on around you, but how you react is absolutely within your control. And I love that you brought that into this leadership and growth capacity, because there are a lot of times that we wake up and say, you know, all, all of a sudden we wake up and we say, whose life is this? Like, why is everybody around me so angry? Uh-huh. Why is everybody around me so upset? Why do my employees hate coming to work? And uh-huh. if we're having really tough, honest conversations with ourselves and we step back, a lot of times if that's the environment we're, that we're in, we've created it in some way. Uh-huh. And, and I think that's a great point because very often as leaders, we don't take accountability for the muck rolling downhill. Mm-hmm. People assume we are spot on. And is that classic, you know, as psychologists I say, I'm okay, you're not okay, as that cliche is. Yeah. You know, if you take a little more accountability for it and infuse a sense of passion. Like even when I was talking here last night, late in the night, it was about one o'clock, I'm trying to embed a small clip of our system and I couldn't get it done. I had the guys in India sitting and talking to me. And right now, even though it is, one o'clock their time, they're checking, hey, were you able to get it done? You know, I didn't have to call them and say, hey, I had a problem. You know, and it is when you're self-directed and goal-driven, then I think I do justice to my investors because I'm showing that their money is being wisely spent. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think we all want those goal-driven and self-starting, self-motivating people working for us, the people who, you know, nobody's ever going to care about your business as much as you care about your business, but they can care about your mission as much as you care about your mission. And so when you share that with them and they can have a part in that, um, they become that goal-driven, that self-starter, but they can only get that way if you lead by example as the leader of that team. I think, Andrew, you're making an excellent point, and I also wasn't very good at that in the past. But now that I've got my own company, when you're in a corporate world, you know, you'll say, hey, I've got the C in front after my name, you know, whatever it is. So I say this. But I realized also uh, when some of the successful projects, I was, as I was going into the entrepreneurial journey, I was asking myself, when was I successful, when was I not successful, and what were some of the things? And I realized that, and it goes back to what Josh was saying, or Aaron was saying earlier today, is it's the team and the community. And then I began sitting and thinking, well, how do I create a community spirit? How do I create a team spirit? And we're not there yet fully, but uh, it's a starting process. I don't know if we're, I mean, do you think we're ever there fully? Because I think that we grow so much all the time. Amber, I think that's a fantastic challenge. It's not just the growth. But I think as you grow and scale, you have a different set of variables that come into play. So there's a different set of complexities that you need to master. And that's one part. And then the other part is because competitors are not still, you really have to figure out a way of being ahead of the game. And that is, this is the reason why in, in my advisors, I have one person who is just a scaling expert because the sort of skills that they say that brings you up to point X is not what will take you to point Y. Yes. And so I need somebody who is outside this who say, okay, you went from ideation to, uh, you know, your MVP. Now you've got to have a different skills, MVP to customer acquisition and different sets. But I need somebody telling me that because I can get lost in the trees, you know. Yeah, there's a couple of, I think, really powerful points that I've heard through what you're talking about that I want to hit on. And the first one, and this is like my passion space, is, you know, you said, where am I successful and where am I not successful? And I probably preach this a little more than I should to people that like, we don't ask ourselves those questions enough. And, you know, I'm a practicing attorney here in Las Vegas. And what I hear all the time is, and I experienced it, is I thought I was going to go to law school. I was going to get these letters after my name. I was going to be respected. I was going to be happy and life was going to be perfect. Right. And this idea of what does success mean to me? Where have I been successful in my life? Where have I not been successful? And how could that have been different? Those conversations didn't start coming into my life until after law school when I realized that magic fairies weren't going to come take all my problems (laughs) away when I got my JD. So I love that you brought that out because I think that it's so important for people to start asking themselves now because you can make all the money in the world. And if you don't feel successful and if you're not happy and if it's not what you want to be doing, then what's the point? Well, more than that, actually, there's a great Wall Street Journal article that read, I guess, in 2008, 2009, that has kind of resonated, stayed with me. And it's this guy who was a top-notch banker, and then he went and became a theater production kind of guy because he loved acting. 
And he said, uh, his aha moment came when his father came to him and said, he's an African-American uh, gentleman. His father came and said, well, how much money can you take with you in the ambulance on the way up? And, you know, then all of a sudden he, he had the aha moment that I want to do something which resonates with me. But yeah. that's really the point. Sometimes, you know, you need somebody like your dad or somebody who knows you well and who you respect to say that. Sometimes it's a life-shaking event like the ones that I've gone through. Um, and each time when you sit back and think, uh, the question that we, I feel I keep asking myself when I'm really down in the dumps, uh, and I said, why me? I said, why not you? You know, it's not like God has anointed me with some fancy stuff that I'll be protected from all evil, <laughs> like Captain America, Captain Paolo in Marvel Comics. You know? Right. Um, you know, one of the most powerful things that I heard um, somebody say once, and it's crazy because I resonate with this so much, is, is they said, what are you doing with your life now? And his answer was, I'm picking up the pieces after collecting letters after my name. Like we, <laughs> we get to a point where we That's have cool the titles and That's then we, what's up? That's really cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a way everybody can understand. Cause it's kind of that like punch that you need to say, have I been um, just collecting accolades and accomplishments or have I been actually doing something with my life and if you're not then what do you need to do to do something you're happy with so I love your success part of this because I think it's so powerful you know I think uh, success also is relative and if you don't mind my saying so because uh, we can measure success both in what you have not achieved or what you want to achieve and what you have achieved what I like to do is to put another variable on it. Like what are the obstacles you overcame to achieve that? Because for yes. example, I think my wife is a very successful person, but she will feel, oh my God, I only published one paper, not <laughs> etc. You know, you know, I think uh, we also need that kind of like mindset to be able to step back for a moment and say, you had X amount of challenges on the plate. You achieved Y. You could have achieved Z, which you wanted. But even why is pretty cool. And sometimes yeah. when I go through the dumps, you know, like the role of an entrepreneur is more like a roller coaster ride. So when all of a sudden, the, you know, like it was last year, they will say, what? Why are you doing this thing again? Tell me again. Yes, and yes. Speed up clinical trials. Why do we need that? Don't you think it's good enough? That's when you sort of sit back and say, I'm doing this because I believe it's a value. And it's just incidental that the COVID-19 crisis took place. And now all of a sudden, you know, if you go to CNN, they'll tell you what is phase one. Wall Street Journal will tell you what is phase two, phase three, and how FDA approves drugs, which nobody would be interested in just about six months back. Nobody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Being published. So that's why there is also that process. And, um, you know, you need to be fortunate also. Yes, I 100% agree with that. And that's actually a great segue into the second point that I wanted to pull out because you've mentioned this a couple of times throughout talking about your story and it's it's kind of hit me and resonated with me each time is the people that you surround yourself with. You know, you talked mm-hmm. about building a team that could fill the areas that you weren't as skilled in and the knowledge that you didn't have and creating this perfect, well-rounded machine to accomplish your goals. And then moving into talking about success, you know, you talked about kind of surrounding yourself with people that can can help you um, expand your perception and help you realize what you've accomplished because 
much like you were talking about your wife, so many times we stick our head down and say, well, this was my goal. My goal was this mountaintop up here and I only got here. And we need someone to say to us, yeah, but look at all this stuff. Like sometimes we can't see it on our own. So to me, the people you surround yourself with are the most important. And I hear that through every part of your story. No, thank you, Amber. That's so true, you know. And um, uh, we did something very, very fancy quite some time back for Lily in Belgium. And people were very shocked that we put that whole thing together, a very complex project. And then afterwards, I was sitting back and thinking, and we just having, having a beer with the guys in the team and thinking, yeah, I led it. And what it came to me was that each person not just played their role, but played their role to a much higher degree and then anticipated uh, what could go wrong in health. And I realized that I went for a leadership training uh, session in my ex-company, Novartis, and the task was to climb a wire ladder, you know, a rope ladder, and then walk across like 50 feet high and you walk across, etc. Now, at that time, I'd kind of had a carpal tunnel syndrome, so my arm was all strapped, and I was trying to get onto the ladder with one hand, and Soon after that, I realized that, you know, this is not going to work. And uh, people all saw me and I felt bad. You know, like there's a classic male competitive spirit. <laughs> there is saying, oh, my God, that lady from Thailand did it and I can't do it, you know. And then the other guys are saying, oh, my God, this guy is such a loser, you know. Our team will lost because of him, you know. So all those are conflicting emotions. So then at the end, when we're doing a debrief, the guy who read the thing, he said, you know, you could, he stole my team. You know, when you see a guy in your team who is shot on something, the team spirit is when you come and help to fill up that gap. So when you saw this guy could not climb, you could have done one of three things. Not assign him to climb up the ladder because of the roles assigned, or help him up the ladder at least halfway. So that has been a very uh, vivid memory that even when we build teams, there'll be guys on some days who will not be in a position to do their full task. And what we need to be is to be astute enough to discover that and gently support the person so they bounce back. Yeah. 100% good, 100% of the time. That's the reality of life. Yeah, and and that's a perfect example of how these external things that you don't necessarily think have anything to do with business and leadership have everything to do with business and leadership. And, you know, a very similar example is um, I found obstacle course racing and ended up running a 24-hour wow. obstacle course race in wow. 2017. You're awesome. And my, my training for that was very similar to yours. Is like there's stuff that I can't do. There's stuff that I couldn't do that then I could do. Um, but the people that I surrounded myself with, the people that were there to help push me, the people that reminded yeah. me, you know, that that team, you learn so much from those things. And so another, another thing that I kind of talk to people about that I love that you brought this up is – Push yourself out of your comfort zone as much as you can. Put yourself in situations like that. You know, I'm sure that when you are sitting in that spot, you know, those stories start going in your head of what are people thinking about me? Oh, they're laughing at me. The competitive spirit you talked about and pushing through those to get to the other side. Like you never know who you're inspiring along that way. I'll keep that in mind, Um, you know, because um, quite often I just see myself as doing what I should do as a leader, founder, et cetera, et cetera. But it's the rub-off effect that I forget, the second and third degree. 
I should kind of keep that in mind. You know, you know I, I think you, you know, from this conversation, do an amazing job at it. But um, I, I, I definitely <laughs> think it's so, uh, you, you know, you just, you talk about your, your culture, the way you talk about your company culture um, is so authentic and transparent that I don't see any way that that exists without that rub off also happening. And um, I just think that that's fantastic and something that people can learn from. Oh, thank you. I think uh, I learned it also because... Uh, I've got basically a team of 10 people who are doing the tech stuff, operating out of a tech company in Texas, but based in India. And when we were having a discussion, you know, they were obviously concerned with their job. They were asking me what I have planned, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, listen, you know, it's very tempting to say, come join me. And then after six months, say, oh, I lost all the money that I had and we have to let you go. I said, I hate doing that. And I mentioned this to Chris. I have three parameters. One, I can offer people a two-year kind of like a salary kind of structure, a two-year career growth structure, and hopefully a motivated job, motivating job every day that they come. If I can't do that, I think it's not fair for me to take anybody on board because then I'm taking two years from that person's life. And that's precious. So they it don't is. Got it. it is and very that's precious. How, and that's why they are so committed, even though I'm quote unquote a client and they're quote unquote an outsourcing service provider. They join at the hip. And yeah. And, and you need each other, right? Like totally. you guys need each other in order to reach this mutual totally. goal that you have. Hey there, entrepreneurs. Eric Cabral here, founder of On Air Brands and host of the Entrepreneur Circle and Capital Hacking. I wanted to share something truly unique with you that we've created called Pod Max, which is an amazing opportunity to connect you with major podcasts to help you share your fascinating stories with their communities. This unique invitation-only event includes interviews with you on top-rated business podcasts all in one day. It also provides a unique networking opportunity with high-performance guests and thought leaders who are authors, coaches and consultants, investors, speakers, executives, you name it. These are the type of people that you need to be around. We also provide industry expert keynotes to hit our stage to share insights on podcasting, investing, marketing to help you take things to the next level. And the cool thing about Podmax is that it has a multimedia agency engine behind it with on-air brands to provide social media promotions before and after the event to share your brand new shows with your network. So hit the apply now button at podmax.co and I hope to see you at the next Podmax event. You know, something that's so important about what you said and bringing that into especially the relevancy of where we're at now with COVID is, you know, this idea that nothing is guaranteed, right? So people stay in particular spots because they have this false sense of security. Um, I completely think that this two-year arrangement that you try to have in this conversation you have with yourself is fantastic. At the same time, there's no guarantees that anything happens in the future. And COVID has taught us that. So I think that the really valuable thing about what I hear in your story is how do I make sure that every minute that somebody's spending with me, that I'm improving their life in some way? How do I make sure that I'm showing them the respect for the time they're giving me for whatever amount of time that is. And I think that that is a super powerful leadership principle as well. I think that's true, Amber. And I kind of drifted into it. It was not uh, by, you know, some fancy design. But I think also it is um, a recognition. The sort of people that I'd be surrounding myself do not have maybe the same goals as I have. 
you know, I've got potentially one element of solving world hunger, not the whole thing, but let's say scratching on the surface to be modest. Now, then may not be interested in that goal, but they are interested in doing their little bit. Just like when I came out with my MBA, I decided to join a pharma company, not because I was, you know, a doctor helping, but I thought in my own little way, I would be able to do it. And so what happened in Novartis, another, uh, you know, how this powerful things come, uh, I'd come as the uh, head of oncology finance across 74 countries. And we had just launched a drug for leukemia, uh, a very powerful drug to really save people's lives. And our CEO was a visionary. He basically said to his executive team, nobody should die because they can't afford the drug. So we were putting in the operational structures and as, as the head of finance, I had to do that. Yeah. And so when we put it in and we were looking at India, Russia, China, I said, well, it costs $30,000, you know, we'll get our 1,000 patients. And, you know, let's say India, that's $30 million. And we had to plan for that. When I came back and looked at the figures after 10 years, India had maybe about 100,000 patients, uh, sorry, a price of $100,000. And not 1,000 patients, but 10,000 patients. And all of a sudden, these were that many lives that were impacted by the decision of a CEO where I played a small role in the whole process. And it makes you, it humbles you. And at the same time, it tells me that if we can find others ways when I have my company to connect the dots to that point, that itself will be a powerful motivator. Love yeah. it. So let's talk for just a minute about growth and pivoting. And, and sure. you know, we all get to this point where we have decisions to make in our business. We can go one way, we can go another way. And especially in the field that you're in, those happen so fast and have such big impacts on the people that are around, depending on which way you choose. So as you're in that pivot point and you're so impact driven, how, what questions do you ask yourself to find out which path is the right for you to take? That's a very difficult question, but I'll tell you how I've been approaching it and how I will approach it. The first thing is that uh, is to see what the customer response is like to whatever I'm sharing. So to give an example, when I came and built our product, the MVP, et cetera, I said, oh my God, look at me. I've you know got a lot of C's in my title and I've done this. I'm sure my ex-company will just fall over because I built it and blah, blah, blah. That didn't happen. And that happened not because they didn't want to. They thought it was a great product, but they'd already invested X million dollars in a new system. And then I said, okay, that's fine. Let me go to Big Pharma Y now. Went to Big Pharma Z and Big Pharma A and Big Pharma B. I, oh, not to worry. There are 100 Big Pharma's will do it. And I realized I was not making headway because that was the decision process. Then I said, okay, maybe I've got it wrong. So I went to an ex-boss of mine who used to be the chairman of a mid-sized pharma in Europe with worldwide operations and asked him, Bill, tell me, is there something else I can do? So he, Bill began to laugh and said, Rama, when you find that out, let me know. Because I've had to complain to you know, the chairman of these of many companies to say, why is your decision process like this? So then we began thinking and I began having discussions. And I said, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing by going to big pharma. They cannot see my value prop as being beneficial. And now we are pivoting off to mid-size and small companies for that reason. I think there are the lesson I learned is basically three things, and I still don't think I've got the, the solution. One is customer feedback. Whoever the customer is, in this case, it was Big Pharma, and I realized that 
it may or may not happen. The second thing is then challenge ourselves with, again, with outside advisors, et cetera, to understand is there something that you can modify in your process or not? And third, when that doesn't happen, then ask your advisors to help you where the pivot should be. So for example, we do want to go to electronic health record. That was not our major goal, but we don't want to do it in the US because there are like giant corporations who can crush us in seconds. And people who have spent a billion dollars are not going to change because I'm saying so. <laughs> so. So now what we're doing is that pivoting away to create those electronic health records in developing countries who may have a need because they're still on paper, you know? And so those are the slight kind of incremental changes that we want to do. It doesn't mean it will be successful, but we've got a process by which we challenge ourselves. Yeah. And going back, I mean, depending on how you define success, you know, it may not be this, it may not turn into the U.S. pharma that we have, but if right. you impact the lives of of somebody in that country, right. then that's, that's success, you know? So again, I think that comes down to this, and, and this is the entrepreneurial curse, right? Is having this huge idea of success and having to remind yourself that, you know, you don't have to reach, like you, we set goals that are enormous yeah. and then we reach goals that are above and beyond what other people expect. And we still feel like failures because we didn't reach our goal. Um, the entrepreneurial curse of constantly needing to have more in our life and figuring out how to, scale that back to find that peace in what we're doing. And this is where your impact driven mission becomes so powerful to me. Amber, that's a great point. I was just talking to somebody who's also an advising and an investor also, one of my friends and family uh, saying, you know, look, I just feel she's a senior banker. Um, and um, I said, look, I just don't think I'm succeeding or something of that sort. So you must be crazy. You're doing such a fabulous job. You're doing 120% of what anybody can expect. And I said, yeah, but, you know, uh, you know, actions are not important. Activity is not important until you get results. She says, you're starting off totally new from ground zero. You've gone to 60 in six seconds. What do you think you'll do it in four seconds? Even if you've done it in 10 seconds, we'd be happy. Just wait and it will just continue the path. And I sat down and said, yeah, that kind of makes sense. You know? <laughs> so sometimes you just need that. Uh, sometimes you need a, a kick. Sometimes you need that stroke to basically keep you squared away. Yeah. And, um, you know, we talked a little bit before about the people you surround yourself with, but I, I want to use what you just said to, to remind people that you need that person that will be brutally honest with you. So many times, especially when we get to a level where we're leading a company, the people that are around us are people that are supporting us and kind of falling in line with what we want. But I want people in my circle that will challenge me. I want exactly. people in my circle that will, will call me out and say, hey, you know, maybe this isn't the best way to do this. Um, I don't want people that are just going to fall in line because we're never going to grow that way. I think that's, that's an excellent point. I try to keep myself. To be fair, there are times when I feel very bad when that feedback comes. And then I sit down and look at it and then, okay, yeah, that's well-meaning and right. So now let's change. The reality still is that um, there's no way one individual can have a 360 degree view and you need to have advisors mm -hmm. who you trust who will give you that. There will be times when you will reject the advice, but I, hopefully in three cases out of four, you're taking their advice because there will be some other dimensions that that person has not seen, you know? 
Yeah. Well, and I think that the powerful side of that is, is considering everything, right? Like it doesn't matter whether it's the janitor that's coming to you with a suggestion or whether it's, you know, your vice president, like, do they have something that's real that could impact your business? And if you do choose to reject that, making sure that you're doing that with logical reasons that are fall within your company's mission statement values and goals um, rather than I'm the CEO and it's not my idea. So we're not so, going so that let way. Me, let me pick you up on that point. You know, one of the things that I do write, I'm the CEO because I have to do that, but I don't sit back and mentally think of myself as a CEO. Mm-hmm. I sit my sit back and think myself as maybe the first amongst equals, the person where who has to be, you need to have a leader like a captain. But it's like a soccer team or any team, you know, you quarterback it, but you're not superior to the team. And then you take inputs and then do it. Yeah. And for me, the power of this thing came through when I moved from Europe to Indianapolis and I went for my first football game. And this was the Colts and uh, they will be playing the New England Patriots and they were getting whipped. And then by <laughs> halfway through, people began leaving. I told my friends from the office, you said you, you know, the Hoosiers are great guys and, you know, support their local team. I said, what in the earth is happening? He said, oh, Rama, you'll get used to it. Cold stands for come and watch us lose this Sunday. <laughs> and I said, oh, my God. And guess what? They changed the quarterback. Peyton Manning came in two years later, and that was a different trajectory completely. Yes, 100%. <laughs> so, so that's also the power of leadership, you know. Yes. Yes, it is 100%. So um, we're wrapping up. We're coming to the end of our time today. And I'm so sad because I could talk to you forever about this. A couple of questions I want to end with. Maybe most importantly, if people want to connect with you, if they want to reach out and learn more about what you're doing, what is the best place for people to find you? The first thing is that they can go to www.blockcube.com. That also has info at blockcube.com. And we have a number 908-242-6307. And I welcome anybody listening to it to come and talk to us um, and, and give us their views on what we are doing. And take a look at our website because we've got doctors who are talking about what we are doing. There is a beta test, et cetera. And we welcome people's opinions, you know, as we build what we think is a product that will help patients everywhere. I love it. Um, and then lastly, this is the hidden entrepreneur show. And I feel like no matter how vulnerable and transparent and how much we grow, we all kind of have this hen- tendency to hide every now and then in our life. So when you find yourself in that position, what resources or who do you rely on to help remind yourself that you have to live like out in this uncomfortable void if you're going to be successful? Well, the first thing I do is I just cover myself up with a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then I don't want to see the day today. <laughs> until my wife comes and I say, what on earth is going on? Yes. <laughs> and you get feedback. No, I'm joking. It's not easy. Only partially though, right? Because <laughs> that's where I start my journey. <laughs> but I think seriously, uh, you know, uh, there are days, especially when funds are running low, that it gets very critical, you know, or when the customer you really thought was in your bag, you know, like I thought it wanted, doesn't happen. And that's when you've got to remind yourself, why are you in this? And then accept that failure will be part and parcel of this journey. 
but the failure becomes your journey if you allow it to become one you know uh, you know so it's okay i failed over here let me see what i learned from this is there somebody else who can help me i'm not very good at public speaking i'm not very good at social media management i'm not very good at podcast but each of these things i'm learning from you yeah i love i love that failure can be part of your journey if you allow it to be yeah. and i think that that is the best way to kind of wrap this up like people are going to fail i fail every day um there's no way that you've made it to where you are in your life without failure you learn from it you move on you become better exactly, exactly amber I love it. Well, Rama, thank you so much for coming on the show. I have loved this conversation and I really appreciate you taking some time to spend with us. And thank you so much for teaching me how to do a good podcast. Oh, uh, I don't know. Good listener. <laughs> no, I need to learn to be a good listener. At a very at a very basic level then my wife will be very happy with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's I mean you you did get out there that she was um the strong one. So if yeah, if nothing else, the the inspiration one, which I have no doubt. So um well, I really you. look forward to connecting with you. Um I Um you're on LinkedIn. Yes. I'm on LinkedIn also, yeah. Okay. Please connect up Amber. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'd love to chat with you given your background. Um, yeah, I would I would love to connect. There's so much more we could talk about and yeah, honestly, yeah. if you are interested, I would actually love to have you come on my show as well sure. at some point in time so we can talk sure. about that on um sure. connecting in the future. Yeah, um Definitely. Uh, something like so you've that. We've got a lot to talk about healthcare and and what we're doing. Yeah, absolutely. And Thank I you. do criminal defense and immigration in Las Vegas oh, and so my God, I just awesome. like I um when you talk about redefining success like as an immigration attorney, like yeah. so many times success is like letting my client leave the country in peace and that breaks my heart and like you know i resonate with what you said about being success or being results driven because yeah. for so long i was like if i don't keep yeah. my clients here what am i doing and yeah. you lose so much in immigration court and it just so so i get that but yeah i i would I knew, love uh, to talk to you you i i you know when i was a school kid in india i read a book by quinton reynolds on justice samuel lebowitz okay we went to the us supreme court later uh he was at the time when as a as a person of the jewish religion people were so surprised that what are you doing in law etc cetera, etc cetera. and if you go back to the uh gosh, what is the famous case with thurgood marshall uh there were seven african american boys who were accused of rape and uh yeah 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 there was just a movie that. about that i can't yeah, remember the name so, of the case but so they just did a movie thurgood about marshall that thurgood marshall at that time was represented in aacp so he got some people out samuel lewis got some other people out mm-hmm. and it's very powerful how he uh, kind of describes it and quentin reynolds is a great so i read it that time i even given that book to my daughter because i think being a lawyer is a very sacred profession Fabulous. it it is very it nice. is it is also very stressful and um podcasting is my emotional release so um but i'm going to jump it. back in the room and yep. and um i think they're going to kick us out but i will definitely follow up with you Pleasure Amber. Thanks so much. Thank you. Loved it.
Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.